And welcome into another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Glad to have you with us and uh, doing something a little bit different this time around. We're going to be talking about the Olympic Games, but not any Olympic Games that have already taken place, but something that could happen maybe in the future if the dream of a longtime friend and colleague of mine comes true. And this is something that he's been, as I have come to learn, work been working on for many Many years, uh, we welcome in to the Doug Russell Podcast from Philadelphia, former WTMJ colleague of mine, uh, dating back almost thirty, almost thirty years. Not quite thirty years, but almost thirty years. We welcome in Jay Sorgi. Hi, Jay. Many hairlines ago, Doug. Thanks ah! so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so let's dive into this. The name of your book that is coming out is Greater Than the Games, Volume One, and. The thesis of it is, let's put the Olympic Games in Milwaukee. So Close. Yep. Okay. So, on its surface, now, listen, you're very realistic about all of this. And uh, Bonnie Blair, God bless her heart, she, uh, you interviewed her, and she uh, wrote the foreword for it. And I, and I want to just read an excerpt of her foreword because you were recording uh, an interview with her about something completely different. But these are two paragraphs from the foreword of Greater Than the Games Volume 1. By the way, when does the book come out? It's out. It's out. It's out now. Okay. I got an advanced copy, but the advance was yesterday, but that's okay. But it is out. Uh, this is what she wrote. When Jay's recorder stopped, he then took an extra half hour with me and privately shared his own Olympic dream. One which I never could have imagined could make any possible sense, let alone have a chance at becoming reality. Years later, I finally decided to dive into what Jay shared with me in book form and how he showed me after years of study, research, and advice from many in the Olympics and Wisconsin sports community, there's actually reason that such a bid can make sense in an innovative way. So when you first laid this out for me, about and you over the years you've kind of picked my brain about things and I poke holes in things because I'm uh, this is a podcast so I can say this because I'm kind of an asshole sometimes <laughs> uh, and um, so on, on its surface the Olympics in Milwaukee if you just say that to most people and I think you're very self-effacing about this in the early portion of the book most people kind of look at you a little cockeyed saying I'm sorry what now but it's it's been a long time in, in, in coming in a, in a dream that you go into as well, but there is a lot of at least research behind what many might at first blush consider a pipe dream. Absolutely. It's worth saying that it feels like a pipe dream when you first mention it. And as we were looking at all the different things that are involved in an Olympic Games... It's something where you basically say, wait a minute, okay, each of the different elements that you need, Milwaukee and Wisconsin are a lot closer than we think we are in terms of the venues to be able to pull off something like this. And the things that would need to be added, especially when you look at residential, as well as the only two major construction projects that would be involved in terms of venues that you would need to build that it could be privately financed because of the size of the residential piece to it and the fact that at the time there was a space available for the most part where we could construct 
what would be needed for a games. You've got enough cities nearby to build a more regional build concept, which I think the Olympic Games needs to think about. You have a lot more pieces to the puzzle that says, huh, not impossible. Not saying that Milwaukee and Wisconsin should do it. Not saying that we fully got to the point to say we absolutely know we can do it. But there's enough there to say, okay, we're going to give you now this wisdom and this knowledge. And if we're supposed to do it, I'm not going to ever be in a position where I could do it myself anymore. But let's hand off the dream. And if someone sees, you know what, maybe in 20 years after LA 28, if Wisconsin has its 200th birthday and we want to throw a party for the world with the Olympics, maybe there's a there there. And the angels in the details, just like we always say the devil's in the details, Mm -hmm. in this case, the angels in the details, because that's where you see the openings that otherwise, without explaining it, people are rightfully going to say, you crazy? Yes, and as you write uh, on pages seven and eight, Milwaukee, Olympics, are you crazy? Their voices (laughs) didn't say that, but their eyes often did. Their minds most certainly thought it. And at least my instincts told me that. Jay, I feel seen. <laughs> Doug, absolutely. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, okay, so let's... I, I am going to try to poke a couple of holes in this because I, as we talked yesterday before the podcast began, you have answers for everything. Okay, so here's my first question. Why should the OA, uh, OAC do, uh, IOC do this? Number one, because the type of bid that we would have put together could have been an answer for a lot of the issues that you see with the Olympic Games in themselves. So often when the ISC looks at a place, they're thinking, okay, this is a grand locale. You're talking Paris. You're talking London. You're talking Toronto. Oh, not Toronto, Tokyo. I mean, there was even a quote in the book that said, I believe it was London, Rio, Tokyo, Paris. Milwaukee? <laughs> right. What? Los Angeles, Brisbane, which has got uh, the uh, the 2032 games coming and up. And people I mean, even saying, yeah, I mean, it's got Brisbane? a... Brisbane? Yeah, well, Brisbane's got a population of 2.6 million. I looked it up. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got Milwaukee, population of city proper about 620,000, give or take. The region, obviously, a lot bigger than that. Chicago, just down the road. You've got some venues, some that, that I think would be more willing than others, which we'll get into in just a few minutes, to maybe be a part of this. But when you consider the the, the region, it starts to become a little bit more, okay, I, I guess maybe I could see that. Absolutely. And I think the IOC is re- coming to a recognition it can't just do single-city games. I mean, look at the number of white elephants in Athens in Beijing, as examples. Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple left in Sydney, but especially those two games. Rio still has a lot of white elephants. I mean, you go back to Athens as an example. I don't think a baseball or softball game has been played in their baseball and softball complexes since the games were held in 2004. Yeah, I think Athens is maybe the worst example. So she's a pretty bad example for the for the winter games as well because Putin built a whole Olympic village with venues with uh, uh, all the infrastructure that uh, Winter Olympics would need, did it on the backs of the taxpayers in Russia, which is uh, 
and there's so many things that have gone wrong in Russia under Putin's leadership, but one of the things is he wouldn't think twice about bankrupting his citizens to build this white elephant game that would last for, you know, two weeks and then the Paralympics after that, and then, you know, they're just abandoned. And Athens was in, you know, a very similar situation as well. What needs to be constructed then if you consider what is already there and who would pay for it? The beauty of what needs to be constructed is that within a 1,000-acre area that was pretty open at the time, the Harbor District is doing a fantastic job now with the Inner Harbor of Milwaukee that's south of the area where the Milwaukee and Menominee Rivers have the confluence between there and Lincoln Avenue and about 1st Street, that neck of the woods, KK Avenue, going east towards the lake. But at the time, it was open. The combination that you need of two venues with permanent seats, you're talking Olympic Stadium, the track and field stadium. Mm -hmm. You're talking the swimming venue. There we would have also had a cycling venue, which could be turned over to, to trek bikes, theoretically, as a training facility as well as a manufacturing facility. Job creations for Milwaukee, that being the idea. And you've got to build about 29,000 bedrooms of condos, apartments, hotels in that area. But that's the beauty of it. It's high-level type of real estate that, hey, you want a lakeside condo or a view of a lake with a condo or the view of downtown Milwaukee? That's the type of thing where, theoretically, and again, I am no real estate expert, but if you've got that many condominiums, apartments, etc., that you could sell and make money off of, that could easily be enough of a profit margin to pay for the stadiums you need in that same area. You're also building high technology business space that could be turned over to be leased for various companies that could come in. And that could be extremely attractive to job creating businesses to hire the people that are going to be moving into that area as well. All of a sudden have an area where maybe you don't have a lot of a need for a car and live a walkable life, if you will. You're creating a neighborhood, in essence. The crazy part about it is, of course, that's going to be an 11-figure investment. Mm -hmm. Do you have the private real estate investors enough to pull it off? That's the grand question. We never got to a point where we could obviously say yes, but there's at least the possibility of it if you can gain enough partners to take part. So that's the idea of these grand facilities that we would need to build, these two new sporting facilities, particularly the track and field and ceremony stadium. Well, that could be privately financed, and there are possibilities for legacies for that stadium as well. You might not think of it, but at least there are some options for it. All right, let's dive into that, because we talked about the white elephants in Athens and uh, to, in a different sense, Sochi for the uh, for the Winter Games. But you're talking about a stadium that has to seat, what, 80,000? Minimum 60. Okay. So you're talking about an NFL stadium in a city that doesn't have an NFL team. You got 
six different options that you could use that we at least saw as possible to create a legacy for that stadium. Number one is the gargantuan mega-sized one. You and I both know that the Green Bay Packers season ticket waiting list is 140,000 names long. And that is probably about three tickets per person. So you could fill the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and still sell out every game if they played down there. That provides the opportunity to create a stadium so big, like 120,000 seats, for example, that you could still sell the thing out by using the season ticket waiting list plus the fans who would continue to keep their season ticket package, maybe have one game per year, regular season, one preseason game. Then you have a facility available for Marquette and UWM to start football teams. Yes, you also have to think about the fact that you need to start women's sports teams to balance out the scholarships. But the biggest capital investment is all of a sudden taken care of there with the stadium itself. And it's a fantastic recruiting tool as well. You have Milwaukee looking potentially at an MLS franchise. That's a fantastic place to play. You have Milwaukee with NWSL, a growing league. Fantastic place to play. And then the United States Olympic Committee itself. They always take a cut of any profits that happen during an Olympic Games that's held in the United States. We would need to go to the USOC, and it's my own personal belief, and this is part of the plan, is to say, okay, USOC, you want to make money off us? That's fine. You're investing in the real estate for this Olympic complex that will be a profit-making opportunity for you, but you're also going to play 10 different events, whether it's U.S. soccer, whether it's track and field, or some other events within what can be America's new home stadium for Olympic sports on a regular basis. You get enough of those partners within the college football, soccer, and USOC option, that could work for a 60,000-seat stadium. You get the Packers involved, you could go as big as 120,000, and they could be involved in the real estate profit-making. They could have amenities that would be available for the public 24, not maybe 24-7, but 365 days a year, generating revenue year-long. They could easily see profit opportunities from this complex as well, and that's why we would ask them to be partners, put in money towards the stadium as well as for the real estate, and there's going to be profit to come out of it. My sense is that the Packers are going to be a tough sell. Sure. Because what they've been doing in Green Bay is, you know, with the Titletown District and bringing all the games back in the mid-90s, so it's been now 30 years since the Packers have played in Milwaukee. I mean, they control that whole district up there. They don't have to share revenues with anyone. They don't have to put monies into anything that they're not going to see a direct return on. In my opinion, and, you know, again, this is just me kind of, poking the bear a little bit, I think that might be a tough sell. I'll agree with you that it's not the easiest of sells at all. But tell me how many National Football League teams could have the capability to create revenue generation from two big real estate 
efforts, two big real estate sure. complexes, if you will. That could help the Packers compete against the billionaires that they compete against for the next century. It could be vital for them, theoretically, to be able to rake in profits from being able to play in two stadiums and have two places creating revenue 365 days a year, especially something as big as something that would have, I mean, you're saying maybe 10 to 15,000 condos and apartments, a huge business setting, as well as other facilities. And in partnering, for example, with Marquette, UWM, the United States Olympic Committee, you don't think there could be competitive advantages when it comes to learning sports science that the Packers could take advantage of on the field? I'm just saying I think it would be a tough sell. As as I go through some of the soccer plans as well, you're talking about removing some uh, rows at Lambeau Field. I think that's going to be a tough sell, in my opinion. That makes complete sense. The plan would be to bring those rows back with higher quality temporary seating during the football season. But you would also then say to your MLS and NWSL team during the spring, you play four games there, you play four games at Camp Randall as well. That way they're generating revenue there in both those locations to, number one, make up for the cost of those seats and having to take care of that infrastructure. But it's also permanent revenue generating that each of those groups could make money off of long term. So again, it's tough sell with what you're describing for completely understandable reasons, but there's a long-term benefit. Is there a desire, and you know, you're a Marquette grad, you're far more plugged into Marquette than, than most people that I know, but with Marquette as well as UWM, is there a desire to begin a football program for either one of those schools, much less both of them? Alumni Marquette University, I think there is a high level of interest if someone can say, hey, this is doable. I think there's an attitude on both those universities of saying, yeah, we'd love it. We don't see that it's reasonable at the moment. Could that change over time? Is that something where if you tell them, we got a place to play, we've got high level technology training facilities in an Olympic complex where we can take advantage of knowledge bases to help us compete. If there's enough there, I'm not going to say that we can expect that to ever happen. Mm -hmm. But I think there's at least plausible capability that it's not out of the question. Yes, you would need hundreds of millions of dollars for, for each university to be able to pull that off. But if you tell someone you got a place to play that's like this, I think it rises to the level of it's no longer an automatic no. Let's discern... Can we make this a yes? In your opinion, is there evidence to support that Milwaukee would support an MLS franchise? My own opinion, yes. I think if you especially make it a statewide effort, Wisconsin could support MLS. Wisconsin could support NWSL. That's where, for example, I believe it's a 19-game regular season for MLS. 11 games in Milwaukee, four in Green Bay, four in Madison. I think you have enough to be able to do that. 
So how much would a stadium cost then? I mean, because the, I mean, when 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 you're we're talking about all of the other things seem to make sense. You're building uh, housing, which is always a need, and and the housing market has exploded. I mean, you're in Philadelphia now, as I'm sure you know, in the in the state of Wisconsin, the last five years, the housing has just gone crazy. Uh, valuations of properties have gone berserk. So I think that you know when you're knocking down all of the things that you go into in this book, okay, that makes sense. This makes sense. I could see this. I could see this. Then you're talking about that stadium, and as we've seen in Wisconsin, building stadiums is not always the easiest thing in the world to do. Ten thousand percent, and I'm also a believer that with a project like this, if it can't be privately financed, don't do it. And that's why I'm a believer in saying this project is not about saying. Let's absolutely host the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. It's let's discern hosting it, build the best plan possible, test it, which is what we were trying to do sure. before we pulled the plug on it, not because it was a no, but ask the question, is this doable? And if, it's, if you can reasonably do it, give it a shot. Now, as for the financing, the fact that you have so much residential that would need to be constructed and i think there's a very good chance you could at least come close to filling it if not fill it 100 percent there is so much profit margin capable within the residential and the commercial aspects of it plus the contributions that each team each team would be making to a stadium project where they would be spending much less Mm -hmm. than they normally would for a stadium by themselves that knocks down a cost, a part of the stadium cost. You've got personal seat licenses, which could knock down part of the stadium cost. And by the way, I propose in the book as well to have an Olympic legacy license, which the Olympics have never done before, that give those who would be buying such a PSL for a long-term option to buy tickets to all these different teams, Packers included, you get access to $2,000 worth of Olympic tickets that you can buy before it goes to the general public. Mm. So Wisconsinites get that capability to go see the games and get first dibs before the rest of the world does. The Olympics have never tried that. It's not out of the question that you could make at least a billion on that if you get all the partners involved. You're getting closer to $2 billion on it you're not paying for the whole stadium. But when you get other real estate investors who can be part of the residential piece of it, and again, it's a massive $10 billion plus type of investment. Am I a real estate expert? Know that there'd be enough investors to do it? Heck no. But if there is, that's where the profits made from the residential and the commercial aspects can take care of the cost of the stadium. And if you can't get private dollars to take care of it all, yeah, don't do it. A generation ago, uh, the Olympic Games were held in Atlanta. Now, Atlanta, Georgia is a bigger city than Milwaukee, Wisconsin is, and we all agree with that. I also would say that when Atlanta was chosen as the site of the 1996 Summer Games, perhaps some eyebrows were raised. Los Angeles, yeah, okay, I get it. It's Los Angeles. When Chicago had their bid a few years ago, Chicago is a world-class, world-known city for so many things. But Atlanta, 
How instructive were what happened in Atlanta uh, and, and how they got the games and the innovative ways that they turned their Olympic stadium into a baseball stadium that's now a football stadium, for example. So it, it never became a white elephant. How instructive were the plans that were used for the 96 games? How instructive were that for you when you were dreaming up the Milwaukee plan for whatever year it might be, whether it's, you know, I, I know that the, the year you put on was 2028. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Maybe 2048. You talked about the uh, 200-year anniversary of the city of Milwaukee. How instructive did that uh, play a part in, in your plans? Incredibly instructive. At the time, the games were much better at being able to have legacies built in to the stadiums that you're constructing. The exception was Seoul in 1998, but between L.A., and Atlanta, and I'd say Sydney did pretty well as well. They did pretty well in that department. They had legacies built in for so much of these different sports, so much, so many different venues. They had all these legacies pretty well set. There were some ex- exceptions, such as the Atlanta tennis venue, and that's a situation where you build demountable seats that you can sell to high schools and colleges across the country. So at least there would be use beyond that, and the community can use the tennis Yeah, we see those at golf uh, golf events all the time. Exactly. That's what we would have done for tennis, right again by where our stadium would have been in the what we call Olympic Harbor. So that was a key, critical piece. And, for example, the Olympic Village, that's now part of Georgia Tech University. They knew what it was going to be before they constructed it. And the use of Olympic Stadium turned Turner Field was massive. The big piece of capital expenditure had a legacy built in. And you've got to do that. And again, if Milwaukee can't do that, you don't do it. But then for so long, the games had moved towards, you know what, we got to have all these new bells and whistles and facilities. And I think the IAC was looking for the most potentially glamorous types of settings you could possibly have, mm-hmm. especially with countries that had no clue with what these sports were going to be. Tell me the next time that outside of maybe the World Baseball Classic with Greek Americans and Greek Canadians and people of Greek heritage competing – you'll ever see a major baseball game played in the state or in the country of Greece. Probably never. Probably not. China, probably the same thing, though you occasionally see droplets of them involved in the sport. And there are so many other examples. So many other examples. And it's been a major, major issue that there haven't been those legacies. Atlanta was fantastic at that. And you have to have that in play Plus regionalism. Savannah hosted yachting. We wouldn't have that problem because you could just hold it in Lake Michigan. You had Columbus, Georgia hosting softball. We could have done that at the Franklin Field Complex at the Rock in Franklin. But instead, that's where you get the idea of using Madison and the University of Wisconsin for so many sports. Lambeau Field. You get Chicago involved with a few venues that you could just very easily tell them, we don't need you to do much. 
you can profit off it with all the travelers that are going to be coming into the area, and you don't have to do any capital expenditures. Enjoy having a, a much bigger uh, tax base coming in. And that regionalism was another piece of Atlanta that worked so well. But it was just incredible that they were able to build these legacies, think of the idea of regionalism, way before it was ever a thing with the IFC. Mm-hmm. So, as we're speaking with Jay Sorgi, uh, his book, uh, Greater Than the Games, Volume 1, is out. I want to go into your process a little bit. Now, you go into your own personal journey, and quite frankly, you went through some shit that I didn't even know about. And it's some of it's a tough read, but it all kind of led you to where you kind of, you know, listen, it's a dream. It's something that, you know, if you put this, 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 and this together, my hometown could host the greatest event that the entire world will watch. I get all of that part to a certain extent. I'm sorry you had to go through some of the shit that you went through, but it, you came out on the, other, uh, on the other end beautifully. And this may be one of the legacies of that. But your process of starting this journey so many years ago, I mean, talk to me about when you decided that you were going to take this dream and actually put it on paper and get some legitimacy behind it. You can blame Sarah Germano of the Wall Street Journal at the time, now with the Financial Times. Okay. She wrote an article during the 2012 London Olympics saying that Milwaukee should be the next American city to host the Summer Games. Partially tongue-in-cheek, but there was some validity to some of her points. I'd done a college project on that. As a kid, I sort of retreated into sports and my love of sports is my safe place, if you will, during some of the harder aspects of my life growing up. And that's where I brainstormed this ridiculous idea. Okay. <laughs> Put it in the mental sure. filing cabinet. Sure. Atlanta 96 happens. I've got a college project I've got to do. Let's pull that little project out, compare it to Atlanta, see what we need to do. Let's do a presentation on it for a project at Marquette University. Get an A on it. Great. Put it back in the filing cabinet. Then that article comes out. And I'm like, okay, for giggles, let's just pull it out again, see what London needs. And it came at a time when it's like, I need something to help me understand that maybe I need to be making a bigger difference in the world than I am right now. And I feel like I've got all these gifts these talents, these resources at my disposal, and I'm not doing what I'm called to do with my life with it. So let's think big. Let's dream big with it. Let's look at, see, maybe this is it. Let's compare everything. Wait a minute. There's actually not as much as we think we would need to pull this off. There's some open real estate where you can actually build and make this happen. There are train tracks that go in and out of Milwaukee and out to Madison and Green Bay that already exists that you could theoretically build commuter rail in to be able to transport people back and forth and it could have a legacy down the road just for Milwaukee and Wisconsin in general. That would be the one public expenditure that I would say would be on the table and that's a whole other discussion, mm -hmm. but that's for a different time. You see all these different things lining up? Wait a minute. Maybe we have something here. So I go and talk to a good friend of mine who worked in our building for many years back on Capitol Drive, a guy named Eric Paulson, deeply connected in the Milwaukee business and government communities, understands state 
government as well. And I show him this and I'm like, is there something here or am I just absolutely kooky? Now, Doug, you know I'm kooky anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but not necessarily sure. in that same way. Right, right, right. <laughs> and as one of the chapters is quoted as the title for it, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but you got something. And it's like, okay, let's run with this. Let's look at this. Could this be? Talk to more individuals in the business community. We get together, hold numerous sessions, brainstorming, discernment, looking at issues about the Olympic Games and where the pitfalls are. We were studying Boston 2024 and their plan bid that absolutely went under because of the lack of public support because they saw so many of the problems that the Olympic Games have and their bid was nowhere near the best at all. I mean, they were going to be building a stadium that was essentially going to be a pop-up 70,000-seat stadium, take it all down and wrap it up. And that's not the best use of what you're going to do for an Olympic stadium. And that was among a number of issues that they had. So it's a question of, okay, maybe we can do this. Is there a right way to do this? If there's a right way to do this, okay. If there's not, forget it. Move on. We looked at it. And it was worth a shot. And every bit of evidence that we saw wasn't saying automatically this is a yes, but it's saying this is not a no and there's a way that maybe we can make this actually work out, but we got to test this stuff. And I met Billy Payne, the man who ran the 1996 games in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to mention anything that's private, but within our discussion, except for the fact that he said, y'all got the venues. And when a man who sat at his kitchen table with a bunch of legal pads and looked at the venue comparison in 1987 and was like, we can do this. And three years later, they're winning an Olympic bid. He knows what he's talking about. So it further fueled it. We eventually decided to cut it off, I think, more on a personal end on my end because of what our family needed at the time. So, unfortunately, I sat on this for so long. But it's like, let's write this. Let's see what we can share with the world. And maybe there's something there that Milwaukee can take, whether it's an Olympic Games or not. Other cities can take, whether it's an Olympics or not. And that cities can think about that they need to especially be cognizant of when it comes to the IOC and what they expect out of an Olympic bid. So that's where the whole pattern came from. You mentioned Boston and the fact that the public did not support that bid. The same was true in Chicago when they had their bid, I think, for the same games, the 2024 games, that uh, ultimately went to Paris next year. How do you get the public to get behind this effort because without the public behind it more than anything else i think that you know as you know we you continue to kind of poke holes and you answer the questions of, of the holes that i try to poke through it but at the end of the day if the public isn't behind this it's probably not going to fly how do you sell it to 
John Q. Public in Wisconsin that this is a this is a good idea. That's why I preface the idea of we do it if there's X and X there's Y is the way that you do it. If you can't privately finance the venues and the residential construction, you don't do it. If you can't take care of the needs of social responsibility within the city that you live, you're not displacing people. You're being present to the issues, for example, the poverty in the city of Milwaukee, and you're doing things actively that can help be a solution to those problems and make the Olympics a positive in that sense. If you can't do that, you don't go for the games. Mm -hmm. The plan has to be so not just well thought out in terms of all the potential pitfalls, budget included, and I'll bring up one when it comes to that very deeply. But if you don't take care of those pitfalls and you don't institute the plan immediately, that makes it a point to say, we're not just doing the Olympics for the Olympics. We're doing this as part of an overall program to make this place better that we live in, especially to focus on the civic issues that we have. I mean, we had a plan, for example, to get thousands of um, unemployed and underemployed Milwaukeeans involved not just in the construction that would be needed of this Grand Olympic Harbor project and the train construction, the train line construction, but over six to seven years, they're matriculating educationally. Not to use a Hank Stram word, but the getting a GED, getting a bachelor's or an associate's or even a master's degree, doing the type of things you need to do to make yourself more marketable for jobs. And by keeping your nose clean when it comes to legal issues, volunteer during the games with job placement assistance, that's enough time to be able to accomplish all that, the time between when you would have a games bid for and won and when you host the games. You do all that, you've just taken care of the sweat equity that becomes a down payment on one of the homes that was built in this Olympic complex, you just essentially, in one way, built your own house. You just took care of the, the down payment for it. It's yours. And it's because you've got a family-sustaining income. Those are the types of things you have to have with an, an Olympic plan. And if you don't have it, you don't do it. And if you can present that to the public, and you can do it in a way that brings cost certainty, and that's the rub, you got a shot to be able to convince the public. So you want to do this in Milwaukee, but you've been living in Philadelphia for the last couple of years. Doesn't Philadelphia have more infrastructure, and wouldn't it make more sense? If you want an Olympic Games in your hometown, well, your new hometown right now is Philadelphia. They've got the football stadium. They've got the baseball stadium. They've got you know more universities, more uh, large uh, scale venues, I think, in a shorter, uh, you know, uh, geographical time space to to travel to, would it make more sense there? In your opinion, I guess the first thing I'd say is that I've handed off the Milwaukee dream, just because I no longer live in the hometown that I love. We moved there just for the sake of my wife's family and some of the needs that they have. Sure, 
being closer to her home state of West Virginia. But Philadelphia has some of the things that you need in greater capability. More hotel rooms, as an example. They have a couple more venues, and they don't necessarily have to do as much regionalism. You're going to have to hold, for example, surfing in New Jersey. We would have replaced surfing with bowling in Milwaukee. But not all the arenas would be in the city of Philadelphia, necessarily, or even in the outlying region. You would still need help from outside that area. It's a little bit better, but you still have to have housing built. You still have to have a track and field stadium. Franklin Field, the home of the Great Penn Relays, one of the great track meets in the world, it's not Olympic standard. And they would have to completely redo the stadium in order to hold it there, and it's also not big enough. So you'd have to construct an entirely new Olympic stadium anyway. And the only way that that theoretically could work is if it is done at the same time that, say, Atlanta had it, where you're building a new stadium that's going to be taken up by a team and it's replacing a stadium that's going to be eventually knocked down. Perfect example would be with the Philadelphia Eagles. So you have to time it right if you're Philadelphia to do that. Plus, there's a much greater security risk because I-95, and again, this is getting into the weeds of the details, I-95 goes right past the South Philly Sports Complex. That you cannot close. That's one of the main arteries of United States transport. That can't close. So many other venues are along the Amtrak lines, the Amtrak lines that go between New York and D.C. You can't close that. That's a major security risk. So you'd have to overcome those things to pull it off. I'm not saying you can't, but Philly could pull it off, but they've got the same problems Milwaukee would have. Why the Olympics? What's the biggest thing that you could ever dream? What's the biggest thing that you could ever do? What's the greatest use of your gifts, talents, knowledge base in order to pull off the greatest benefit? I love sports. You know that as well as anybody. Of course. I'm also a believer in using your gifts and talents for the greatest good that you're called to use. The Olympics have the capability, if done right, to have a massive societal impact far beyond sports. So if you've got all that at your disposal, why not? Then comes the big argument. Is it what you're really called to do with your life? And that's where I came to the conclusion, no. And I'm okay with that. And I get that. So with all this stuff that we gained from this ex experiment, this discernment, put it out there to the world and see what happens. If someone else can take it up, great. Whether it's in Milwaukee or say San Francisco wants to do something in 2048 or 52, or say here in Philadelphia or something, why not share that knowledge? Why not equip all these cities around the world with what they need to understand about the IOC and the Olympics, maybe make and force some changes to tell them, you know what, you got to put in cost certainty. That's why you're finding it so hard to find cities to host the Olympic Games. They have no prospective cities after 2032 at this moment. They're trying to rebuild demand. At a previous time, 
when there were more cities that were making profits off the Olympics, it's because it was a lot less costly to put on. You need to rebuild those cost certainties. And that's just one example of teaching cities to say, maybe you need to put some pressure on the IOC and they need to learn a different way of doing the games. And if they can do that, you save the Olympic movement for a century. As we begin to wrap things up with Jay Sorge, uh, he has written his book, Greater Than the Games, Volume 1. Volume 1 indicates that there is a Volume 2. Where does Volume 1 end, and what picks up in Volume 2, which is forthcoming, I would assume? Volume 1 is the first 10 days of the 19 days of the Olympics. It uses vignettes of what those games look like. It also interweaves a lot of the different issues that the Olympic Games face. It interweaves the story of Milwaukee. It interweaves my own personal experience. Again, some of the hard stuff that I went through in my life that led me to dive into sports as sort of a refuge and a place for me to find some purpose. And you mix all those elements together and it tells the story of how we discerned it and what maybe a better way of doing the games with greater purposes than the games could look like. But there's a whole lot of other issues that we couldn't even think about getting to in volume one because if we try to combine it all you want to read a 700 page book <laughs> we got to split it i got to get through volume one first i mean i got it <laughs> yesterday for crying out loud so uh yeah it is listen you know me i like to poke holes in a lot of things and i like to question a lot of things but i will say this and, and i'm not saying this because i've known you for a long time and i'm not saying this to help boost your sales or anything but every question that i've had you've answered and every question and every hole that i tried to poke through you at least have a solution for it. Now, getting from you know your point A solution to it happening in point B, you know I think that's the angel in the details, as you talked about when, when we started and when we began this whole thing. But you have answers for them. And if it sounded crazy, because it sounded crazy to me at first, but then you go through some of these answers that you have for it, if you get people rowing in the same direction, if you can get people that kind of see the overall vision of it, and if you get the IOC on board and if you get the public on board, maybe it's not so crazy. It's still crazy, but it's not impossibly crazy. So why not at least discern it? Think about it. And if it can happen, fantastic. If it doesn't, we can learn some fantastic things about the place that we live and maybe see that we can do things even still that we never thought that we could do. Why not stretch the boundaries? Uh, how can folks get the book? It's on Amazon, on Kindle, paperback, hardcover, and on a whole lot of other book sites as well. If you like Barnes & Noble, it's on there. whole bunch of other sites, but mostly it's going to be on Amazon. All right. Greater Than the Games, Volume 1, Jay Sorge. When you come into town, uh, as I say this to every author that I uh, do know and that has written a book, when you do come in town, you're autographing my copy. Oh, 10,000%. I also have to come into town because all my friends want spotted cow. You can't get it here. <laughs> well, just load up the car. That's all you do. I mean, you, exactly. again, you can't, I mean, what, do you bring in like rolling? Well, you can get rolling rock here though. So that, you know, it doesn't, doesn't make any, uh, that's not a fair trade or anything like that. Bring in the cheese steaks, bring in the scrapple sandwiches, whatever you got to do. 
Uh, Scrapple's disgusting, by the way. I don't know if you've had any of those out there, but they're they're awful. I haven't touched it yet. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure I want yeah, to. I, I I had one once, and it was that was more than more than I needed. Greater than the <laughs> game is volume one. Is the book? Find it on Amazon or wherever you get books. Jay Sorgi, we appreciate the time so much. Good luck with the book, and I can't wait to see how uh, the next step unfolds uh, for the book and uh, for you and uh, and for Carrie and for Anthony. Thank you so, so much. You're a good man. All right, there he goes. Jay Sorgi joining us here. Greater Than the Games, Volume 1. Again, pick it up on Amazon. That's this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. We'll see you next time.